Hello and welcome to the Agri-Food Comscast. For this, our 10th episode of our podcast series, exploring the issues impacting the food and farming supply chain, taking a marketing and communications spin. Today, our focus is on export opportunities for British produce and the backing the government has announced to support the sector with a raft of communications resources. I'm with Ian Wright, the Chief Executive of the Food and Drink Federation. Hi, Ian. Welcome. Oh, nice to be here. The um, government's bounce back plan for food and agriculture, it's uh, highly focused on facilitating communication uh, platforms aimed at growing the export uh, opportunities in the sector. I wonder if we could just start by giving a bit of a brief overview of the, the key facets of the plan, if you could. This is a plan that's come out of the Food and Drink Sector Council's work over the last two or three years. And FDF, Food and Drink Federation, has been very heavily involved in that work. And for the most of this year, I've been the co-chair of the Sector Council. So I and my fellow co-chair, Terry Jones, from the National Farmers Union, were very, very keen that, that the count, Sector Council should start to do things that were highly practical and to try and notch up some quick wins for the activities we were undertaking. We've produced some really top-class reports on skills, on agricultural productivity and so on. But they're currently doing duty, in my experience, as very, very high-quality doorstops. Mm -hmm. Uh, And what we wanted to do is get those reports into practical action the recommendations of those reports, but we also wanted to move into some other fields. So working together with DEFRA and the Department for International Trade, we were able to take the recommendations of our export working group, feed them into the Department of International Trade's relatively urgent review of the opportunities for exports in the current very tricky post-COVID economic circumstances. And the consequence of that is their bounce back plan, which includes pretty much all of the recommendations that the sector council had made earlier in the year. Brilliant. So as I understand it, you know, we're looking at things like webinars, um, one-to-one export clinics, recruiting 50 food and drink export champions, virtual events, um, roundtables. It almost reads like a bit of an integrated PR plan that we'd be producing for for our our clients and and very communications orientated. Um, What evidence is there that those sorts of techniques and and that approach will will actually work and and drive export? Well, one of the things we know is that that only one in eight uh, food and drink businesses even consider exporting. So the first thing is to try and make them aware of the opportunity. Second is to accept that exporting is largely uh, the province of companies who are used to doing it. Mm -hmm. And that's the amount of resource that you need to devote to getting that first sale in an unfamiliar territory. And there's a lot of misapprehension about what is necessary. And so the first job of of anyone trying to provoke uh, an export-led work stream is really to get people familiar with what is necessary, what needs to be done, and to remove that fear factor. Mm-hmm. Communications of the kind that you've just described, webinars, conversations with people who've done it before, finding champions who've got the experience, who can mentor or provide guidance to others, are obvious mechanisms for taking the fear factor out, 
for making it clear that that you don't just need to be out there with your Davy Crockett hat on prospecting into the wilderness, that there is a community of, of colleagues from the industry who've got great experience, which they can share, and it's not a competitive issue uh, in many cases. And these sorts of mediums, webinars, mentoring, champions, online conferences, and so on, are actually the best way of getting across this knowledge base. I mean, is there sort of, just to give us a, a bit of an example, an organisation that you can think of that perhaps had never gone through that export process and has been very uh, successful and perhaps adopted some of those um, uh, those kind of opportunities? Well, I think, I think there are some, I mean, there are definitely organisations which start exporting um, and find that it's, it's very uh, straightforward or at least that they can do it very successfully. Um, I think it's also fair to say that there are a lot of uh, organisations with lots of experience. Mm-hmm. So there are people here at the FDF, there are friends at the Food and Drink Exporters Association, John Whitehead and his team there. Uh, And there are a whole load of companies who've got loads of experience in this field. And what we know from the other countries who are very successful at exporting, uh, and in particular what we know from the Republic of Ireland's remarkable board beer organisation, which is their export vehicle, Mm -hmm. is this is something that requires continuous attention and which requires a lot of support. So we with the DIT have tried to put together a series of support mechanisms that will help uh, the first time exporter do do the kinds of things which will assure them of success. And it is important because, uh, as I said earlier, only one in eight food companies look at exporting, even consider it. But there's also the, 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 the very serious point that actually doing this is quite a big commitment. Mm. So it's easy to get swamped by the size of the task to get into successful exporting. And it's also easy to forget that, that all of these successful exporters, and I worked for 14 years for one of the most successful exporters of food and drink products in the world. You know, we, we, we exported both Johnny Walker and Guinness to over 180 countries. And those two products have been exporting to all of the many of those countries in Johnny Walker's case for nearly 150 years and in Guinness's case for more than that Mm. Uh, and these were small businesses these were not the big businesses they are today when they started so it was never a given that these guys would would take the baton and and really make it work massively. And so from your perspective, Ian, are there any particular areas of food and drink that perhaps offer the most opportunities for for export? Well, I think there are I think there are many, many different sectors which will work. I mean, clearly, if the product has a shelf life and is perishable, then that puts extra pressure because you've, you've, you've got to be able to ship it and sell it and get it to your customer within whatever the the timetable is. But where you've got a decently long shelf life, there are some really massive opportunities. And British food, UK food, is very popular. Um, It's thought, and rightly so, to be produced to very high standards. It's always very attractively marketed, which is very important. And it's it's always got great taste. So... 
the, the ground rules for success are there in, pla- in, ter- in uh, place. But what then has to be done is, is to execute the, the sale. And that's what the bounce back plan is all about supporting the, the marketing and sale of the goods. Brilliant. Obviously, this is something that's, that's only recently kicked off. And I, I imagine the, um, the different events, uh, etc, all going to be uh, going on in advance of Brexit. And obviously, post COVID, that you know, creates uh, even more of a, an opportunity. Um, what do you think the export landscape could potentially look like in a, in a few years time? That's a really good question. I think one thing we have to remember is that, 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 that where we're selling our products can be either into uh, the retail channels, so supermarkets or convenience stores, or it could be into hospitality. Now, if you looked at this a year ago before the COVID crisis, I think you would have found that hospitality uh, played probably quite a disproportionately large part in the export destination. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it's always the case, I think, that products are trialled in hospitality or food to go and then the continued purchases in retail. I think um, that is going to be different going forward. We know that the hospitality industry in the UK has been very badly hit by COVID. So some of the future exports are going to have to be done in a different way. And, and I think that's where the bounce back plan can help because it takes account of some of these changes. But there's every reason to be optimistic that you will be able to secure listings in uh, overseas or European retailers and to uh, and to be able to market UK food and drink very effectively. So you're pretty positive? I'm very positive. I think it is quite a long job. That's the only thing I would say. I mean, you can get immediate sales. You can get some some surprising results and i think it's possible the great the, the 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 thing we're certainly very keen on here at the fdf is a uk japan trade deal because japan is the world's largest market bar none for imported food and the brits have a very small part of that so japan could be a great opportunity for the uk if we can do a trade deal with them and i think there are other places as i say where where British products and British provenance is very, very popular. Excellent. Provenance, as you say, is, is obviously something that is, is very attractive um, abroad. So hopefully that gives us a bit of a, a USP, um, you know, going into a, the new market conditions. That's right. And British standards are very high as well. The fact that British, British products are seen around the world as having very high standards of food safety, of attractiveness, Uh, is important for the success of our export drive over the next two or three years. Brilliant. So just leave me with the the stats. Um, What's the the value of the international export opportunity for food and drink in the UK at the moment? Well, it's probably infinite. The potential size of the market is ginormous, but it does take time and it does take effort. Mm, well, it's good that there's a support there and, uh, you know, that uh, the Food and Drink Federation has, uh, you know, had a lot of influence and, and been able to provide the, the steer to the government to, um, you know, provide that, uh, that opportunity. So thank you very much for your time, Ian. You're very welcome. And thanks for having me. So I'm now with Adam Sofa of gourmet popcorn brand Joe and Seth's. Welcome along, Adam. Hi, Catherine. 
Hi there. Um, so we've been talking with Ian at the Food and Drink Federation about the new government-backed bounce-back plan for food and agriculture. The plan centres around developing overseas trade for the British food supply chain. I know your business, uh, Adam, uh, has already made the leap into export. Uh, so would you say that uh, it's as scary as it perhaps sounds? Um, no, not at all. Um, and it is it is a different way of, of operating, that's for sure. So, um, yeah, we are really proud to export our popcorn now to over 19 countries around the world. Uh, started kind of by mistake when a, a retailer in France said that they wanted to stock our popcorn and we sort of thought, why not? And kind of figured it out. Um, and uh, now obviously do it a lot more strategically. And um, yes, each country has different requirements and um your, the way that you're set up needs to be slightly different to be able to deal with, in our case, putting sort of foreign foreign translations on packets um, in, in the local languages, etc. But the actual process is all fairly intuitive and there's some great support out there from organisations like the FDF um, and uh, from um, uh, DIT as well uh, to, to help guide you along the process. So we've actually found the whole process really intuitive and, and have enjoyed it it's a great opportunity to meet people from around the world who love eating gourmet popcorn mm. so so what actually was um has been your experience of sort of proactively marketing to overseas customers or prospective customers um so prior to covid um it was getting to the country and uh and actually having a chance to to meet the retailers and the distributors and the, visit some of the local stores to understand why where you would be on shelf and against who so what the local competition looked like typically that would be our kind of first port of call alongside some calls with the DIT to the local people the local teams um to kind of get some advice on who the you know who the key retailers were and so at least those visits were as useful as they could be um and then it was very much about speaking to the local um retailers and buyers and understanding how we can get the products onto the shelf um, you make it sound very simple, but I'm, I'm sure it's, uh, you know, there's a fair bit to it. In, in terms of marketing a, a, a British branded product, mm. is there a particular appeal, do you feel, with overseas buyers that actually there's something in, in that aspect that uh, uh, attracts them? Yeah, I think it's really interesting. So um, certainly we found in Asia and the Middle East in particular, there is a really strong demand for British products. And primary reasons are they perceive um, that our products are high quality and as a country we we can supply the product fairly efficiently to them and I also think there is a big premium placed on the the, the flag the GB flag which is um, really prized by consumers in some of those territories and so you'll notice that a lot of British products on the shelf in Asia and the Middle East does indeed have have the GB flag on. So that's certainly a massive advantage for British companies wanting to export. In terms of marketing locally, we do find that uh, a lot of that comes down to kind of traditional marketing, really. Um, so in our space, that would be um, lots of trade in consumer shows. So physically standing in an exhibition hall or in a, in a retail store. Um, and giving out tasters uh, and speaking to consumers. So lots of physical contact. We haven't quite mastered the local social media 
um, approach. So we still have one central social media um, at Joe Seth on on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and um, on Facebook too. So all of our international markets are fulfilled really from a social media perspective through that one account. I do think we need to do something differently to to approach it locally, but we haven't quite developed that yet and got it right. But yeah, so from a marketing perspective, really, it's all on pack and physically in person. You will often, in our case, have a local distributor in the market who will be helping us and have local teams to kind of um, help help uh, raise the profile with PR campaigns um, and uh, kind of getting influencers, etc., talking about your brand. But mm. certainly from a UK perspective, from our team, that's what we're doing. Brilliant. And so have you got big ambitions to keep expanding? Yeah, certainly. I think um, our plans have been put on hold a little bit by by uh, COVID, but um, we have some really exciting products launching, a lot of them targeted at um, some of the countries we export to. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we want to keep growing overseas. It's a, it's a big part of our business. We were really fortunate to win the Queen's Award for export, actually, just as uh, just as COVID hit in April, uh, really, which which shows that it was really it was great for our team to receive it. Really, it just showed that we all are doing something right and um, and and doing a really good job of of exporting our gourmet popcorn. And I think we want to continue that and keep building on what we on what we've spent ten years um, setting in motion. No, getting awards, it's um it's amazing what it does for morale internally. I know from our own experience as as, as a business, it, it really lifts everyone. But how important is it to, you know, tell prospective customers that you've you've won this award and it's um, you know, they're in, in safe hands, I guess, you know, and that's your sort of credent part of your credentials. I think you hit the nail on the head there. It's the safe hands point, isn't it? It's almost a that they might really like your product. Um but everyone's always a bit nervous entering into a new relationship in any shape or form. And and from a from a buying, you know, placing a large order for for our product and, and paying off and for it up front uh, from an export perspective, as, as our customers often would, that just adds an element of credibility to our brand for, for someone that doesn't know who we are. And uh, so it's very it's very rare that you'll get someone specifically go, I bought your product because of that award. But you certainly know that the process of them buying it has been made easier. Mm. um uh, buy it so i'd strongly recommend it uh it's certainly for, for us one of the most prestigious awards we've won um if if not the most prestigious prestigious one and, and i think internally it really recognized a part of the business that was arguably secondary um you know the uk business gets a lot of focus and a lot of attention and, and uh, actually the, the guys that do all the hard work making the export sales and making the product uh, labeled uh, etc for for those export territories it was a real great uh, opportunity for them to be recognized yeah no great accolade so so finally what would your advice be to uk brands looking to extend their their market uh, beyond our shores um i think certainly from our perspective we we launched a gourmet popcorn brand in 2010 and uh at the time gourmet popcorn was not a thing in the UK there was one brand of popcorn in in all the supermarkets and some own label and that was it you would never find popcorn in coffee shops or in uh, uh in any of the, a number of the places where you now find it on the high street um and really the UK wasn't quite ready for gourmet popcorn we spent a good few years uh launching into premium stores and 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 really building our brand but Arguably, in those first few years, we could have gone overseas to some territories like the Middle East, which was already quite developed in gourmet popcorn. 
um, or certainly in, in coated popcorn, which is what we do. And actually, had we gone into the Middle East earlier, um, potentially the business could have grown faster. Um, but we were very much focused on the UK, uh, which was right for us to do at the time. Um, but there are other overseas markets, I guess, the, what I'm trying to tell you, which is which might be more ready for your product now than arguably the UK is. Um, and uh, there's, if there's a strong demand in those countries, um, why not be the brand that gets the opportunity to, to launch to them? Um, and so, yeah, I'd certainly recommend exporting. And there is now lots of help uh, if, if you're unsure what to do or where to turn or for finance or for any form of support. Uh, the DIT is brilliant in that regard. And um, you know, Ian Wright's team and, and lots of organisations out there now are, are, are helping even more. No, that's brilliant. And just just on Brexit, is it going to be hindrance, help or not going to impact you too much? Do you know what? Last year we were fully focused on Brexit and how and uh, mitigating it and um, and how much it was going to disrupt the business. Um, we're, we're still coming. We're still sorting out COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and uh, I think we've taken the view that, um, look, it's going to make it's going to make things challenging, especially in the last few months of the year which is uh, tends to be our peak period and, and especially coming out of COVID or back into it, depending on how things go the next few months. Um, but it will, it will be fine. It will all be worked through and there'll be solutions to sort of every problem. Um, it's just going to certainly cause some disruption and, and we've just got to make sure we're prepared and we've done everything we can to ensure that we don't let any customers down who, who, are, are, who we already export to and, and want to buy our product. Yeah, well, um, good luck with that. I think that's uh, that's a great uh, great sentiment and attitude to have. And uh, thanks very much for your, for your time, Adam. No problem at all. Thanks for having us. That's it for today. Thank you to our guests, Ian Wright of the Food and Drink Federation and Adam Sofa of Joe and Seth's Gourmet Popcorn. I leave you with a quick reminder to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and we'll be back again in another two weeks' time. Thank you. I'm Catherine Lynch. <laughs>